look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, man? I'm terrific. Uh, so I want to kind of just mention something. My, my daughter, who's been working with us as a summer job, has been putting stuff together about our show <laughs> over the past, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years we've been doing this. And apparently... I introduced the show, or I introduced you into the show, the exact same way for the past 10 years. Yes. Nothing has changed. So this time I didn't say, how you doing, buddy? Did you what notice you that? No. Said, how you doing, man? Oh, oh, very good. Just change it up a bit. You're shaking it up. Look at that, eh? Yeah. Oh, well, see? Change even with the old dogs is possible. Yeah, and, and because of her help and the entire team, uh, <laughs> we've, we've been, we've been uh, fortunate enough to be named Canada's number one retirement podcast. Yeah. Uh, so we are very happy to hear about that. So thank you for the entire team for making that happen here and at Chorus. Uh, we love it. We yeah. love it. And this is fun. Yeah, it is fun. And, and, and hopefully beyond just fun, it's also educational and informative, right? Yes. Um, what we know is there is the largest demographic shift is happening right now. People are moving. That, that baby boom generation yeah. is moving full speed into retirement right now. And as you and I know, and we knew 12 years ago when we started doing this, that the complexity, things change as you move into retirement, right? From lifestyle changes, health changes, right? Your mobility, the dynamics in your family changes, everything. It's a huge time of transition. And let's put another change in that's happening uh, right now is yeah. we just got over the weekend, last weekend, uh, uh, an election call. That's right. Can we have any more elections in Alberta? Oh, Can sure. We? Why, not? Why, sure. Not? Why not? Why not? Why not do a provincial election to make it a whole full yeah, game exactly. while we're at <laughs> Get it, right? 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 So we're having civic elections across the province. We're having a, a federal election that's going to happen before the civic election. Uh, so that's taking up a lot of the, uh, the, the space on social media, yeah. on conventional media. It's going to, people are talking about this already. Uh, so we are definitely going to talk about the federal election, which was called, and how this will affect your retirement. Mm -hmm. That's on the show today. Yep. Um, you know, we talk about taxes, health care, all the issues that come up. I believe, and maybe I'm wrong at this, but I believe that this election is not about the people over the age of 50. Well, there doesn't seem to be anything in the early platforms that would say there's a focus there. Yeah, right? which is interesting right. considering this pandemic we went through. Correct. I think it's going to be, let's just throw some money and band-aid this to get the votes. Right. I don't think this is a, we've got, we've got policies that we've going to put in place so this will help the structure of the aging population, which is the largest demographic in this country right now. Yeah, fastest growing and wealthiest and all of those things, right? Right, and consume most of the provincial resources from you a health care perspective. You bet. So why not get that addressed in this election now? Because uh, it doesn't always get votes the way they want it. And yeah. that's every election, which means it's never going to be solved. Well, I, gets I didn't go hard. back to count up how many elections that we've been through in the, whatever, 12 years that we've been doing this, but it's a whole lot. Yeah, provincial uh, and federal. Oh, we asked gosh, the same yeah. question about for, for our demographic that we service, 58, 50 years of age and plus generally, um, you know, the, this group uh, generally doesn't really get, they, they don't get a lot of benefit provided in regards to services in the future, um, they get a lot more charges against them like taxes. Yeah, absolutely. And that um, infuriates them to no end. There's no yeah, question, absolutely. right? Particularly and, when and they... you're in that demographic, so don't say them. <laughs> no, I'm thing. not quite there you're yet. There. You're not there. quite. You're I'm there. running at it, but I'm not, I'm not quite Just across the finish go, line. You're in. You're in the club. <laughs> you're now in the club. You're part of the, 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 the 50 plus crowd. My knees were there 10 years ago. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> So today, uh, this week in the markets, yeah. let's, let's talk about that. We've, uh, we've seen um, 
a bit of a two steps forward, one step back. You and I talk about this quite a bit. You bet. Let's give your take on that whole concept of two steps forward, one step back. Well, you, you, you could see the market trading this week was really quite fascinating. And it, I always talk about the tug of war. Um, you know, and, and we had the tug of war uh, today, uh, sorry, this week with the, um, the release of the Fed uh, minutes to the last meeting. And there's no question that, uh, that, that the inflation numbers are meeting Fed expectations that would give it um, the ability, according to their mandate, to start raising interest rates. The, the, the issue is they've shifted over to the employment rates and full employment. Do the conditions exist to start removing stimulus out of the system based on, uh, based on the employment conditions? And uh, although they concluded not yet, the minutes pretty clearly indicated that we've pulled forward the fact that those conditions may exist by the end of this year, and the markets reacted to that, right? right. So you've got this you've got this tug of war taking place between the Delta variant, which we've talked lots about, and whether or not it's slowing down global reopening and global growth, at the same time that we're now talking about, oh, maybe some stimulus, like the removal of stimulus is going to happen. And, and you saw the market, I'm going to use the word chaos, we've seen a lot more chaos than what we saw this week, but you could start to see that uh, you it's know, the market trying to figure out what's going on. It's the tug of war, like yeah. you talk about. And I think this is where people have to be very careful about um, what they've seen year to date may not be what will end at the year mm -hmm. or at year end. Um, we've seen double digit growth in the in the in the markets. Right. TSX, S and P five hundred, right. Dow Jones, um, and people are getting complacent. Some of the people that, will, that listen and watch this show, Dave, have been talking to me saying, you know, things are pretty good. Why, are, why don't we just put more in the market? Yeah. Even though we're seeing this little bit of volatility, let's put some more. Let's see what happened last year, Faisal. Bounce back up really quick. Let's just put some more money in there. Um, the concern I have is that there are parts of the economic story that's not getting headline news. Right now, with the headline news is inflation. Right. right now, the headline news is to the taper tantrum. You're going to hear that quite a bit. Um, Afghanistan, that's getting the news. Delta variant, that's getting the news. They're not talking about how countries are still shutting down because of right. the Delta variant. And some of those countries are large, exported-based economies. Yep. Like, you need China to be fully running. Right. You need Indonesia, which is the fourth largest economy. Right. Right? Um, you you, you got to look at these, these different pieces where there's a lot of, um, of weakness out there. You're, you're going to have... A lack of vaccination happening onto most of the world. Right. Just because we're, talk we're talking about a third shot. Booster shots, that's right. Most of the world's talking about their first shot. How can you expect the economy to grow the way uh, we, and the markets to continue to grow when you have all these different problems? And there's a lot of political issue. People have not paid attention to what's happening in China as much uh, with what they're trying to control, information and technology. That's that. Uh, that, that cold war that we've been talking about for right. years that's yep. been growing, yep. where they're seeing more signs of it. So those pieces are not getting the, the headline news. Yeah, but there's also lots of similarities, speaking of China, in terms of what they're doing with what we're doing here, trying to control big data and so on and so forth. Interesting, some, some very severe reactions over there. The other thing that is not being discussed right now is deflation. Yes. Right? Uh, but, you know, we've talked about the bond market. Yep. We've talked about the bond market saying, hey, maybe the growth and the inflation is not there. Now, we've got these big headline numbers, yep. which, which take over the, you know, the, the popular press, and that's the headlines flashing at you, so everybody thinks. But there's a lot of smart people talking about the fact 
that maybe that inflation is truly transitory and we're starting to see some disinflationary pressure building in the system. Wouldn't that be something? That would be a shock to everyone. Right. Because no one's really paying attention, like you said, <laughs> no. to the potential That's right. of deflation. Let's put that on the dashboard. Let's put a probability that that could happen. I think when people are building out their portfolios, when people are speaking to their advisors, when people are looking, forecasting for the future, you cannot assume the only outcome will be inflation. Right. Why is deflation not put on the dashboard of what to look for? Right. And you can assign any type of probability you want, but it needs to be on the dashboard now. Right. Now we're talking about structure and discipline again. Correct. Right. And it's interesting. And we've talked, well, I don't think we've talked about this topic in a long time, but I recall we've had lots of conversations about the fact that when you're waiting, when you're building a portfolio, you need to build it with different possible outcomes in mind, right? Correct. The biggest mistakes we've made, and in fairness, some people have had home runs, but when you go all in on a bet and you get it wrong, right, that can be absolutely catastrophic, catastrophic. Absolutely. at this stage of a life, at, at a retirement stage of life. And so it's important to hedge bets a little bit. Correct. So it? here, before we go to break, let's kind of give them the breakdown of what the solution to that problem is. Right. You need to come out with three outcomes. You need to have your base case scenario, right. what you think is a high probability of happening. You need to have the hum, the humility to know that you could be wrong. Right. And you can be wrong in two ways. One, you could be wrong and things could be better. Right. So assign a probability to that. Mm -hmm. And then assign a probability that you're wrong and things could be worse than what you're saying. You can't be 100% right on any of these outcomes. Right. So you got to put some percentages on And on the probabilities sides. will tilt. And then based on that situation, right. how would you design your portfolio? And then how do you minimize the volatility by putting all three got together? It. That is the solution to bulletproofing your portfolio yep. for retirement. Faisal, we've got this little thing called a federal election coming up. Surprise one. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't call it surprise. Well, I just think it's worst quick. Worst kept surprise, maybe, but <laughs> quick, yeah. And it'd be a quick campaign too, right? Five weeks. Yeah. That takes, that's the same amount of time it takes you to get out of bed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're, uh, <laughs> I wonder why. Hey, I'm, we're going to talk. Because you're old. <laughs> oh, you're talking about the election Jeez, of five weeks. Oh, thanks. sorry. That was just mean. We're <laughs> start, starting the day with that, are we? Okay. <laughs> Listen, aside from your meanness, we're going to talk to, um, we're going to talk to an expert that can help us understand a little bit about uh, the different uh, policies. There's lots of questions that people have, particularly those that are retiring, right, uh, around taxes and around health care and around all of these different things. And I think we should maybe get a good assessment of what does this look like? What is the campaign going to look like from an Alberta perspective? And what should we know, you know, from a retirement perspective? What, what can we expect to see? Let's Lori this. Williams is going to join us. Uh, Lori, uh, Lori is an associate professor at Mount Royal University. Lori, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. It's great to be with you. All right. Well, let's, um, let's regale the audience <laughs> with what, uh, what's going to happen over the next, uh, call it five or six weeks or so. We've got this election called. I want to start with uh, with seniors, if you wouldn't mind, and uh, maybe give us your take on um, uh, on on the various party platforms with respect to what seniors might want to look for or be aware of uh, as we move through this campaign season. Well, probably the first thing that we're noticing is that 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 five hundred dollar. <clears throat> um, bonus given to people 75 and over by the Liberal government kicked in on Monday. Uh, so um, some are saying it's an obvious attempt to buy votes amongst uh, perhaps the most committed group of voters in the country. That's pretty important though to, to just be aware that some are, are, are portraying that as 
a benefit to seniors, but it's a one-time benefit. And we're seeing a little bit of this happening, uh, these one-time or one-month type benefits, and, and their actual impact long-term is, is difficult to know. That's, having said that, though, we also know the Liberals have brought in uh, the old age um, security benefit increases and uh, the guaranteed in income supplement. Uh, they've already got, they've announced already that they're going to be uh, introducing increases um, on those. Um, and uh, so those, those senior supports, I think, are pretty important. To me, another one of the really important dimensions for seniors is um, health care. So uh, ensuring that um, you know, drug prices are affordable, long-term care facilities are adequately staffed and safe for seniors, I think that's going to be a huge issue. And just the, the whole uh, pandemic response and what that's going to mean. I mean, we're talking when we discuss seniors about the highest risk group in Canada, and we don't yet have any information about whether people will be getting a a uh, top-up or a booster shot for their vaccines, but since it's been announced in the United States, that's something people will be watching for as well. But I just think the policies, generally speaking, and, and although they aren't federal uh, policies, the federal government is, is providing leadership on vaccines and uh, who's who, broadly speaking, should be eligible for those vaccines. Um, Health Canada is providing information on that as well. I think that's something that a lot of seniors are going to be watching for pretty closely. So nobody's talking about increasing taxes except um, uh, on on those that are, that are super wealthy, the super rich, as they're being called. The people pay pay their fair share of taxes. There's a lot of talk about reducing or diminishing some of the um, tax avoidance measures that are in place. But that's all pretty general and vague at this stage of the game. Uh, I'm not expecting any surprises that will make it difficult for retirement planning. Uh, I think they'll be signaled far in advance and, and there'll be lots of time, I would expect, at least for the Liberals and the Conservatives, lots of time um, to to make adjustments should there be policies that, that change along those lines. Laurie, there, there's um, some concern out with uh, people we speak with, people call into the show and so forth about um, a potential another minority government. And if the minority government happens again, and let's say it's the same way it is right now with the Liberals in charge, and the NDP having somewhat power in the background, um, that some of these tax policies, particularly ones that are hitting um, higher net worth retirees, capital gains, inclusion rates going up, um, wealth tax, uh, luxury tax, so on and so forth, are going to cause a bit of a concern on the people who are spending quite a bit of money to stimulate the economy. Do you think that this is going to be an impact with that category? And all, let's be fair, it's not the majority of right. people over the age of 55 who vote, but it is a, it is a good percentage. Um, what, what are your thoughts about, is this, is this a good strategy uh, considering that might be another minority government or is this going to be a political suicide in some cases? Well, I think what, what we're looking at in, um, as we've seen over the last 17 months, that the NDP has pushed very hard on particular policies that are very important to them, uh, and they've been able to get concessions. And most of those concessions, as we know, centered around uh, COVID supports for folks that were uh, badly affected economically, economically, whether it be businesses or individuals. So um, I don't anticipate, if, if we continue as we have for the last 17 months, and, and that's actually probably the more likely, likely scenario at this stage, another liberal minority government, maybe with a larger uh, minority or maybe even a small majority government. In, in any case, um, there's the, the, the government is going to be a, a pretty careful about, about alienating solid voters like seniors. So I don't think we're going to see dramatic changes 
in that area. Again, we're seeing pretty consistent um, discussions about by conservatives, liberals, and and NDs about closing um, tax loopholes that have, that allow too much tax avoidance. But in terms of targeting folks just because of their income, I don't see dramatic changes happening there. And again, I think they'll be signaled, even if it's even if it's coming from pressure from the NDP. Um, I don't I don't think. Um, I don't think we're going to see dramatic changes in in uh, terms of taxes for seniors. It, it, to me, it just looks like all of the parties are not wanting to increase taxes. Um, the deficit is still an issue. Uh, the Conservatives are talking about cutting programs. Um, some of these policies are, are anticipated to generate economic growth and, and increase tax revenue in that regard. During the election, they're not talking about increasing taxes, but in a minority government situation, increasing taxes is not going to be something that anybody's going to want to risk. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of movement on that. Laurie, every federal election that we've covered uh, doing the show, we get the conversation about this is all about Ontario and Quebec and the West don't have a, much of a voice when it comes to this election. What are your thoughts? Has, has things changed since the last election? Um, and because the way things have been split up around the country, which is who's red, who's orange, and who's uh, blue, uh, uh, blue uh, you, you kind of get an idea that this could be another problem again for some, especially those who are feeling alienated sure. in, in certain parts of the country. What are your thoughts about that? This is a Quebec-Ontario race all over again. Well, there's no question that just because of the number of votes in Quebec and Ontario, they have disproportionate influence. Um, most of the people live there. Most of the votes are cast there. They have the greatest uh, impact. But having said that, it's not... I mean, I and, and you have voted in elections when the decision of a majority government was already decided before the polls closed in Alberta. Um, that, that's not going to be happening in this election. There uh, are seats in play here in Alberta. Uh, some people are looking at some candidates and thinking, would they be uh, potentially, at, uh, certainly if, if you vote for a, a liberal candidate in some of those competitive ridings in Alberta, there would certainly be a, a cabinet seat in play in those cases. And we've got pretty strong candidates. Uh, let's speak specifically about, about Calgary right now. We've got um, two very strong candidates. George Shahal, who's got political experience representing the, the, uh, the area of Calgary Skyview. And uh, in Calgary Confederation, um, we've got a really, uh, Murray Sigler, who's got a, an incredible track record in terms of former CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. Um, former uh, uh, president of Canadian Airlines, former Alberta government trade representative in the United Kingdom, um, president of uh, sports, um, Calgary, I think it is. Uh, so the, the, here's somebody who's got a lot of experience who I think liberals would like at the cabinet table. So in the case of, an, uh, of a, uh, a, a, a liberal government, might be an appealing candidate. And again, we're going to be watching the polls to see if that makes uh, it makes much sense. You might be looking at conservative candidates for potential cabinet material if the conservatives are slated to win. But again, there's so many conservatives in Alberta, the chances of having as much of an impact at the cabinet table is somewhat diminished. The reality is that um, although there are a few seats in play in Quebec for the Liberals, conservatives uh, I think are going to have a harder time there according to the polls right now. Ontario is going to be a huge battleground, but so is British Columbia. And the reason for that is right now the Conservatives are relatively weak in the polls and so the NDP and the Liberals are going to be jockeying for some of those seats. 
in British Columbia. And not only may we not know until the votes are counted in BC, the votes may not be counted on the 20th. We may not know for a few days afterwards what the outcome of the election is. And that's quite different. That particular, you know, not knowing uh, on the day or within a day of, of the election who has won is something that'll be new to um, Canadians, but, but that's because there'll be a lot of mail-in ballots. I'd like to get your feedback on what, if any, platform issues there might be or uh, what any of the polling might indicate around um, the sensitivity to healthcare, given that we've just come through a pandemic, it's an important with an aging population. Are there any of the parties that are you know, that you see are laying out a platform different than the others? And, and if so, what, what are the differences? Uh, just before we talk about that, we talked just before the break about uh, seniors' concerns with respect to the economy. And one thing I just wanted to add to that is concern around inflation. So yeah. I think healthcare is such a huge issue because of the impact of COVID-19. Uh, we're in the midst of a, of a fourth wave right now. Um, not quite sure how that's going to affect everyone, but it's going to have economic impacts. And how to come out of those economic impacts, I think, is a huge concern. Um, and, and again, I think people might want to look closely at, um, at the, the various parties' plans for trying to deal with uh, stimulating the economy, and that's going to be different in different regions. Um, we've seen the current government invest in the in diversification of the Alberta economy. We've seen money come in uh, to help people through the, um, the, the pandemic. I mean, for the first time in uh, decades, um, Alberta is a net recipient of federal dollars. It's getting more than it's putting into the, the federation. Um, and I think it's, I think, possibly made some people sort of think a little bit differently about Canada, or Alberta's relationship with the rest of, of the, the federation. Um, but going forward, managing health care, broadly speaking, particularly for seniors, I think is going to be an important issue. And I think it's really important that we look at um, stable investment in healthcare, and particularly, I think, uh, managing long-term uh, care. Now, the, the thing we need to remember, of course, is that healthcare is primarily a provincial responsibility. Yeah. So it's up to the provinces how they deal with some of these things. But just like we're seeing with childcare, where the government is offering money or tax incentives in the case of the, of the um, Conservative Party, uh, basically offering incentives for improvements in childcare, the same sort of thing can happen with respect to, uh, to healthcare. Um, so if we want to look at what the Conservatives are offering, for example, they're talking about uh, introducing limits again to medical assistance in dying, reintroducing that 10-day waiting period, removing the possibility of, of uh, medically, medical, medical assistance in dying for people that are uh, mentally ill, uh, but they're all, all of the parties are talking about investments in healthcare that will, um, will help sort of deal with some of the flaws in the healthcare system that we identified during the pandemic. Uh, none of them are really clear on what the impacts or, or changes will be beyond sort of specific or, or limited um, areas of healthcare, but I think it's going to be very important. And again, seniors have a huge impact on uh, policy provincially and federally. And if they really continue to put pressure with respect to long-term long care, I think that can make um, a significant difference. You may recall that one of the problems that happened with respect to long-term care was that there were a number of part-time workers that were working at more than one facility and spreading COVID from one facility to another. So this idea of um, adequate funding for facilities so that they can um, uh, ensure that workers are working 
as much as they want or need at one facility rather than multiple facilities. Things like that, I think, are, are issues that seniors can ask questions about. Nobody's got it on their uh, on their platforms or in terms of their plans or the policies they've announced. They, but they've all committed to investing in uh, in long-term care. And I think uh, voters want to be asking some questions about what that might be looking like. Laurie, I I, uh, I looked through the the initial pieces on on the websites of all three major parties, and it seems to me, and and correct me if I'm wrong on this, that one of the um, interesting points in, in the time that we're in right now in this election is going to take on that this, this government will be where uh, in time or in history where the largest percentage of people retired are going to exist in the in the population. Yet when I look at the platform or I read online of all these parties, they really haven't focused on this demographic of the 55 plus. It seems like this is an election for the 18 to 45 year old demographic, not the 55 plus. Have I got that wrong? Is is any one of these uh, parties focusing on probably the largest uh, demographic that has the, the most amount of influence and impact to all areas of the economy, which will be the 55 plus. Have I caught that wrong? Have I missed anything there? No, no, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, in preparation for meeting with you today, I, I was looking through to try to find stuff that was specific on, on seniors. And there isn't much that's, that, I mean, again, we can look at healthcare issues. We can look at some of those, uh, the funding for specifically for CPP and the old age supplement. We can look at policies like that and get an idea of what they're, they're targeting for seniors. But um, it's quite indirect in some of the other areas. And the reason for that is that the governments are looking, or the parties rather, are looking at uh, at what's going to stimulate the economy. In other words, what's going to help with people, the, the individuals that are working uh, for businesses, the people that are running businesses. In other words, they're looking for economic growth and, and that's the driver that they're focusing on primarily. That's why they're looking at daycare is because it's going to have longer term economic impacts. So this isn't irrelevant to seniors, obviously. Uh, but it's not directly targeted at them. And given, as you pointed out, they're the, not only the largest demographic, they are uh, the, the, they have the highest percentage of people who actually come out and vote, or in this case, mail-in vote or advance vote or whatever the case may be. Uh, but they're, more, they're the most reliable demographic to show up at the polls and actually vote. It would make sense to be uh, explaining how these policies are going to benefit or, or criticize policies that aren't going to benefit that very large population. This is what I don't get, Dave, is that they know that, that this demographic shows up. Um, they have contributed for, for decades to the Canadian economy. Um, and it seems in my, in my preliminary research that they've been somewhat forgotten. Um, we, we do not let the open market dictate what um, any demographic wants. We kind of have to have some sort of government control or say in it. Um, in this situation, I think... With the healthcare scare, that's a reaction to the pandemic. Right. The inflation scare is a reaction to the pandemic. Uh, what what we haven't talked, and we've been doing this for 12 years now, we have yet to have a long-term care strategy, a home care strategy that all provinces can kind of buy into. Correct. Right. They're looking for universal child care, but we don't have universal healthcare standards across each province. Right. And so you're seeing individuals flock to different provinces to get just interim help. We've seen our clients fly right. to Toronto, come back, get yep. help there because we can't get in Alberta, vice versa. And, and we don't have 
a proper strategy. I think there are some countries around the world, for example, like you care for your mother. Mm -hmm. If she was living with you in your home, there is minimal amount of benefit to help you. Right. Right. And that's where I think the opportunity is. We don't have to have a larger amount of workforce in the healthcare program. We just need to dedicate our resources to the right location. Right. And I don't see that. So, Lori, that's my, my question for you is if you were to look down at all three of the platforms that we see today, and I know it's early in this in this election, who would you say is targeting that demographic, the 50 plus crowd, uh, the, the best at this point in time? Well, they are all looking at, they're all mentioning long-term care and the need to, to address it. Uh, they all have something to say about those uh, senior um, uh, supports, old age security, guaranteed income, income supplement. They're all um, looking at those. The Conservative Party uh, is talking about increasing the Canada health transfers by 6% annually. Uh, but again, it's got to be in negotiation with the provinces. I actually think what what you've identified is very important, that there needs to be a little bit more in the way of establishing and um, sort of having strings attached to, to healthcare funding to ensure that there is more consistency between and amongst the provinces. The huge obstacle to that is that very strong provinces like Quebec and Alberta are very resistant to the federal government getting involved or, or saying what they can do with money that comes in under that healthcare uh, title. So it's 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 pretty difficult to uh, to get into that. Um, moving again down the list in terms of policies, uh, pharmacare again because we're, ha we're having difficulties difficulties with some of the provinces. But the NDP has been championing championing pharmacare for a long time. The Liberals have sort of said they're interested in it at some point, but they don't have anything specific. Certainly nothing they've announced so far. Nothing that they have. Um, uh, planned that we can see uh, is going to address that, but but it's one of the areas where the the NDP has been very strong and consistent. Uh, I actually think uh, you know you mentioned long term care. I think it was you, David, that said that um, long term care is is uh, something that just like child care, uh, people who want sorry uh, home care if they wanted to have folks uh, cared for at home. I mean this could save a ton of money in terms of. Healthcare dollars. I don't understand why provinces and the federal government aren't working on this, but I think right now we're in an, in a bit of a, a an economic healthcare crisis, or we're just trying to figure out our way out of that. But I think long term, this is something that they're going to have to start looking at, just because of the number of people who would rather be in their homes and they they could be cared for more effectively and right. and more inexpensively if if a, a federal federally funded program were available to sort of push provinces in that direction. Lori, I want to thank you. We're going to have to leave it there. We're running out of time. But thank you for the terrific analysis the last 20 minutes. Gets us all pointed in the right direction and helps us understand, you know, where we've got to be looking, right, to see what's important to us and what the different, uh, what the different platforms hold. So thank you very much for joining us today. Well, it's been my pleasure. Hope I've given people some questions to ask of their representatives. Absolutely. I've been joined by Lori Williams, Associate Professor at Mount Royal University. Uh, you know, Faisal, people run into in retirement medical issues. Yes. They run into tax issues. Yep. Some cases we see relationship issues between yep. each other, between the family, the kids, whatever the case may be. Yep. Who do you call? Who do you call if you've got these problems? You know, it's very interesting. Besides speaking to your significant other, mm -hmm. um, we find that a lot of people are sometimes scrambling on where do you go to. Right. Where do you go to for a, a resource? Where do you go to, to for sounding board? Where do you go to uh, 
uh, for support and guidance. And this is where in, in a time like uh, retirement, which is the most vulnerable time in a person's life, mm -hmm. they are aging, so they got the concerns and problems that come with aging. You are 100% dependent on your savings mm -hmm. and you don't have a paycheck coming in for, for those who are, who are living on off their savings and not working. You are dependent upon external forces like the markets um, and you are now going through a different type of change from being active in work or your business and now not doing that. So a whole bunch of change happening. So vulnerable, okay? Now you have to, at that same time, figure out who do you call for certain issues. Right. And so let me give you an example of why we built this practice the way we did. Um, this week I've had five different phone calls from five different clients. Um, we've had major medical issue come up mm -hmm. where the person can no longer drive. We've had um, issues like I need uh, a corporate and a corporate lawyer to help me because in my business I'm being sued, right. possibly being sued. We've had uh, conversations about, hey, I'm going to take my first trip after COVID. Mm -hmm. I want to make it a killer experience. Mm -hmm. How do we do this? Yep. Who are they calling? They're calling a t an, an expert, a team of experts that get together in a collaborative form to solve the problem for the client. Right. So they know who to call. My concern is that's not happening everywhere else. Right. Is that when people are going through all these different things, these vulnerabilities, they're scrambling to make the call to whoever they make it to. Right. And most times, they don't even call. Yeah, well, and listen, when I, when I went through that initially, you got a medical problem. I chose these specifically, yeah. right? Uh, tax problem, maybe you could end up here relationship problem, yep. right? Who would think to call their money guys? Yeah, their, their financial advisor. Right, you don't. Now you think, one of the things I think we've discovered in, in building the practice that we have built over time is that retirement is, is, is about an experience, right? Everybody starts with this dream. They're leaving something, that can be scary for sure, but they're go they've got this idea of where they're going and what they wanna do, Yeah. right? And so that, that's all one big experience. And then there's all these things that come up along the way that influence how that experience is being perceived, Yeah. right? So, so a retirement practice, a specialist, we talk about this often, um, you have to be good at money management. That's table stakes to be in the business. Correct. But the true value, my opinion, right? And when we deliver peace of mind or we talk about that, um, if, you're, if you've got the, the, the money management, the structure and discipline down, it's the other things that create these problems. The fear that this person experienced when they had this medical issue come up, right? Changing, uh, you know, not being able to drive was how she, in this case, expressed part of it. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff attached to that. Right? What, I, what I was um, very uh, um, happy to hear about this situation was that she reached out to us. Yeah. Um, and we can quarterback. And we can quarterback and coordinate with her. That's right. Um, take a lot of stress off of her and figure things out for her. Now, that's not a money manager. Right. That's not a financial planner, a financial advisor, right. my money guy. It's a lifestyle. Uh, it's, it is a retirement transition practice. Correct. And that's where I think when, when we start looking at this industry of investment and wealth management, it's, I think the name is wrong. Correct. We're not in an investment management world. We are not in a wealth management world. 
We are in a retirement coaching, retirement experience. lifestyle, retirement experience. experience. Whatever, yeah. We, we, all these different terminology are coming up. I want someone that I can go to to take care of all my stuff, even if they don't handle it themselves. Correct. But they can direct me in the right area. Because right. I don't want to deal with that stuff. I don't right. want to start scrambling and looking for stuff because people are more like firefighters than they are preventive doctors. Yep. Right? They will only deal with stuff when it arrives. That's right. In an urgent manner. Right then they will be proactive on doing things. Right. Most people, that's just how we are. And so why not go to people who have gone through this hundreds of times, Correct. thousands of times? And so I think this is the change that's happening with what people in retirement are looking for. I think this is the change that's happening uh, when it comes to people in retirement, what they need um, and, and what makes them have that peace of mind that you keep on talking yeah. about is, is, uh, is, is something that people are aspiring to. Right. And why not have the right members on your team? So I think this is a, a an interesting time with all the different phone calls that I got this uh, this week about can you connect me with right right can you can you give me some guidance on this and right. where would we go? Right. My child is going through this. My parent is going through Absolutely. this. Absolutely, it's not even about them always. Right. It's it's about the people they care about. That's exactly right. Right, and it's it's again we talked about this before. At the beginning part of someone's retirement, they talk about themselves and what their experiences will be. In, in their second phase of retirement, they're talking about them and their people that are important to them. Yeah. And then in their third part of them, they're talk, talking about their, the people that are important to them. Yeah. They kind of say, okay, I'm, my, my time's up on this. I'm, I'm going to focus on other people. It's interesting how this changes, but that also tells us that there is services that are needed that they can go to and they don't have to scramble and try to find it themselves. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know I've, been, I've been struggling with how to communicate this um, over time, but there's so many people that look every day at their portfolio yeah. in retirement. Man, they've got lots of time, they can do that. And my contention is that if you're one of those people, okay, you're likely diminishing the quality of your experience in retirement. Because God forbid it's a down day that day you look. Is that influencing your, your behavior, right? And I challenge people, and again, I'm not sure how to communicate it yet, but to think about if you're one of those people, why are you doing that, right? Because if, you, if you're elevating, if you've got a good plan, a good structure, a good discipline in place, and it's achieving the objectives, okay, over the longer term, it doesn't matter what happens on any given day. Then you can focus on those important things, like your family, like the experience you want to have with your friends, or the travel experience you want to have, you know, or whatever brings you a peace of mind. Yeah, you bring up a good point. When someone is looking at their accounts on a daily basis, or a high, more than once a month, I think. If you're looking at your accounts more than once a month, the question that you need to ask is why? Yeah. Why do you do that? Now, the answer that I've received from some is, it, I feel like I'm in control. Mm -hmm. So it's a control security conversation. Um, some are, it, what I see is how I'll react to what I spend. Right. Which is, I think, your point of diminishing right. the, the viewpoint. Um, the other one is trust. I don't trust what's happening out there. So if I see it every day, um, but that's not how they are with all of their world. Right. So they've got, you know, let's, let's say they've got a couple million dollars in their portfolio, but they live in a two and a half million dollar home. They're not calling their agent up every day to say, what's the price now? Right. What's the price now? So why is it one over the other? Which is a very interesting, I think, right. any of you scientists out there or social scientists out there. The psychologist, right? right? Yeah. Why that, is that? Just help us with this one because right. we want to definitely understand why individuals look at their accounts every single day. Right. Because the really important conversations that we have are generally not about portfolio or what's in the portfolio or what happened yesterday in the market. It's around the health event that I just experienced or what my kids are going through and all of those things, right? Yeah. So we know that that's the true 
um, value, uh, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's the true focus of people in retirement. The lifestyle they're leading, the experiences they're having, the family, all of those things. But we tend to get caught up in these things. And I am interested. Like, I don't know how to how to communicate that to people. I suppose I'm reaching out to anybody that's watching that can yep. help us understand. So why don't we do that? If, if you are a person or know somebody who checks their accounts on a regular basis <laughs> to see how their retirement funds are doing, yep. send us a note at morethanmoneyradio.ca. Just send us an email, contact us, and then let us know why. We'd be interested. We will give you a copy of our book, Bulletproof Your Retirement, free for your, for your advice to us, because we would love to have that. I think that's, that's very interesting and important to us. And part of this whole process to give you that security, that yep. safety, that peace of mind in retirement. So how do you bulletproof that your retirement? We're going to talk about that at our upcoming webinar on Tuesday, August 24th, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. We look forward to seeing you there. And on behalf of Faisal, my business partner, myself, Dave Popowich, I want to thank you very much for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money, and we look forward to chatting with you again next week. David Popowich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popowich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popowich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popowich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.